Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, Power in Weakness, with a message entitled Confident Expectation. So turning your Bible with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Expectations govern how we act. You know, I remember years ago a very important hockey game. I think the score ended up being 7-1, to one, and it, it wasn't even close, and it was a disappointment. But one of the players from the losing side had said, it seemed to me that our opponent scored the first goal before the puck was even dropped. I see, I wonder, did the losing side feel that they had lost already before the puck was dropped? I mean, did they feel that goals were already being scored on them before the game began? I mean, were they already defeated before they took to the ice? I've noticed that there are Christians that feel the very same way about the advancement of the gospel. They don't think they're on the winning side. They assume we're losing. No, I don't mean those who who expect to be in a fight for the proclamation of the gospel. I mean, that's just realism. That's biblical. We are locked in spiritual warfare, and the devil doesn't want to surrender his captives. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean those Christians who spend their time moaning and groaning as as to how wicked our society is becoming. It's just going to get worse, they say. Fewer people are going to church, they say. This, This was predicted in the Bible, they say. I mean, things are going to go from bad to worse until the Antichrist comes, they say. And so their expectation is there are going to be fewer and fewer converts. And furthermore, it's going to be just continual decline. It's really bad, and we only expect it to get worse. See, notice the difference between the two groups. I mean, one group expects to be in the fight of their life for the gospel. There is going to be a price to pay, but the gates of hell will not prevail. We're going to sail through bloody seas, all right, but Christ will prevail. But the other side has given up. It's it's just a bad thing to be alive right now. I mean, back in the olden days, people listened to the gospel. They don't now. See, I wonder what side you're on. Are you hardened? and engaged in the fight for the gospel, or are you just discouraged, and are you expecting to lose? See, in our study of 2 Corinthians, some of us have been surprised at the toll that gospel advancement has taken on Paul. He's come to the point that he's despairing of life itself. He's lost the strength to go on. Now, Satan doesn't yield his territory easily, and, and furthermore, Paul is also in a fight to recapture the Corinthian church because false teachers have left their mark in that ancient church, and and the false teachers have criticized Paul with ruthlessness. I mean, they're mercilessly opposing him. And yet in the last section, we saw that Paul is hardened. He's serving a glorious gospel. It's the the gospel that transforms the heart. God's laws are written in our hearts, and, and the results are continuous transformation. Nothing else can do that. You know, Paul's task in advancing the gospel is the most significant task that has ever been given any human being, and his life has purpose. He is serving the living God through the gospel of Jesus. So, now let's read 2 Corinthians 4, 1-6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves in everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, from that passage, I want to point out why it is, in spite of all the difficulties that Paul had faced, you know, from persecution from without to to slander from within the church, that Paul still expects great things. He expects that the gospel will prevail. He expects the growth of the church. He expects that the Corinthian church is going to get back on track. And so given that he has confidence, Paul then declares five things about himself, five things that exemplify his confidence and his expectation. Here's the first reason why Paul's confident. It's why he's not fallen into despair despite the hardship that he's faced. Read verse 1 again. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So notice he begins with the word, therefore, because I've been given the task of preaching the new covenant in the blood of Christ, and then also because I received the ministry that I have by the mercy of God, I don't lose heart. See, Paul never stopped being amazed that God had mercy on him. Now, of course, he first encountered that mercy when You know, when Jesus arrested him, he was on the way to Damascus. He was going to persecute followers of Jesus. And you'll remember the first words that Jesus spoke to him. It was, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And of course, with that, Saul of Tarsus falls on his knees and he calls Jesus Lord. And Paul always knew that was mercy. But that's not the mercy that Paul has in mind in verse 1. Here, the mercy is the mercy of being called into the ministry of Christ. So you might remember that that Jesus told Ananias, this man who had just been saved, well, let me read it, Acts 9, 15 to 16. But the Lord said to him, that is to Ananias, go, for he, Paul, Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul says, that calling of mine, that is, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and then to suffer terribly as a result. This is my life's mission, and it's God's mercy to me. It's a a demonstration of the kindness of God. And so given that my salvation and my calling are all part of God's mercy, and given also that I now see this ministry being fulfilled today, That's why I'm not losing heart. I mean, how can I lose heart when I'm getting everything that God promised to me? So we've got to stop here and see how important that is. You see, a great many Christians grow tired of serving Christ simply because they've forgotten how great a mercy has been given to them. I mean, I wonder if that's you. Have you forgotten the compassion Christ had on you so that you were not left in your sin? And have you also forgotten that the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you? Have you forgotten that the Holy Spirit gave you unique gifts that equipped you for a ministry that you have received? Have you forgotten what a mercy it is, not only to be called unto Christ, but also to be called to be a servant of your master? And if you've forgotten, is there any wonder that you've lost heart? So if you abandon your call from Christ, that would explain why you've lost your enthusiasm for Christ. In Paul's case, his calling to Christ and his calling to be an apostle, they came together. Jesus not only saved him, he gave him a calling. 
And for all of those reasons, and in spite of all he had suffered, Paul says, I resolutely refuse to lose heart. God who saved me also gave me this ministry, and that's exactly why I'm encouraged. There's something about the toughness of a man or a woman who's been found by Christ and then lives his or her life to fulfill the calling he or she has received from Christ. And in that case, we might be slandered and we might be beat up, but we refuse to allow ourselves to dwell in hopelessness. How can we be hopeless if Christ has found us fulfilling his purpose? Now, Paul declares the second thing about himself that motivated him. He says he's not motivated by money. Look at verse 2. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Look at the word to tamper. We will not tamper with God's word, he says. Now, I understand that the word to tamper is a word that was used of wine merchants who would dilute their wine and then continue to sell them for the same price. So in that way, their profit margin would go up dramatically. So those merchants, I mean, they weren't concerned with the purity of their product. They had only one concern. I mean, how do I get the biggest profit I can possibly get? So, you know, in effect, they're immoral people. And Paul says, I never diluted the product that God entrusted to me. I was far more concerned with making sure that people heard the message that God had given me than I was concerned with whether my my winter jacket was thick enough to keep the cold out in the wintertime. And that's why I renounced the shameful practice of the immoral wine merchants Regardless of whether the gospel I preached took care of my personal needs or not, I was determined to fulfill my calling before God. I would preach the truth, and then anyone who suspected my motives, I mean, I gave them an invitation. It was simply this, watch me. You'll soon discover that my conscience is clear. I'm I'm glorifying Jesus. I'm not glorifying my personal needs, and I'm not glorifying money, that's for sure. See, Paul's not flying his own personal jet. God, protect us and protect the little ones from the grasp of those who do it for money. Back to the Bible Canada is all about Bible teaching. That's our passion, our legacy, and our continued mission. Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld studies, prepares, and presents a verse-by-verse understanding of the Bible, and God is changing lives. So we're excited to announce a brand new resource for 2020, the Back to the Bible Canada Study Series. It's a six-week Bible study video series designed for personal and small group use. Bible teaching at its finest that includes Bible teaching videos, discussion questions, and notes that engage the participant in a verse-by-verse study and greater understanding of the Bible. This series will be made available on the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel and by visiting backtothebible.ca. And remember, every resource is available for free as the result of partners like you. Your gift is so appreciated. To learn more or to give today, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. You know, Paul said that he doesn't resort to trickery. He speaks of refusing to practice cunning. And the word cunning is actually used five times in the New Testament. And in every case, it's negative. 
In 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 3, Paul will speak about the serpent's cunning who deceived Eve. I mean, to be cunning is to use half-truths or to shade the truth, or it's even to use outright lies to get what you want. Paul says, I'm just determined that I would be known for honesty. I would declare the word as it stands, regardless of how it impacts me. That's a command that's given to all teachers of the word. You may not have hidden agendas. You must only communicate truth. Indeed, when Paul says that he would commend himself to everyone's conscience, he means, look, I've got nothing to hide. My life's an open book. It's a wonderful thing, don't you know, when a servant of the word is scandal-free. It's, it's wonderful to think that there's nothing in Paul that once you discover it will bring shame to the gospel. It's a model for all of us. See, let's remind ourselves of the grand theme of this passage. You know, first he says he's hardened because he thinks of the grace of God when he fulfills his calling as a servant. Second, he says he's determined never to dilute the product. He's going to remain faithful, and he invites scrutiny. You'll rummage through my closet, he said. You're not going to find any skeletons there. We live in a world in which the media literally feeds on scandal. I mean, someone who runs for office, political office, I have no doubt that their opponents hire people to comb through everything they can find to discover something that sounds like an expose in which, you know, they can sell papers or get people to mistrust the other. It's a rotten business, you know. Paul says, I commend myself to everyone's conscience. And so Paul has said, serving the gospel has done those two things. I don't lose heart and I'm committed to the truth. Then he gives a third reason for his attitude. The reason why he's so confident in the advancement of the gospel, he says, and note this, because it might be surprising for some of us to hear, Paul says, those who reject the gospel that he and the other apostles are preaching, they're rejecting it because Satan has blinded their eyes. In other words, they didn't reject the gospel because, you know, we didn't market it well enough. Or maybe if I had just been a better orator or preacher, or maybe if I had used more culturally sensitive strategy, well, maybe it would have gone better. No, no. Paul says, I'll tell you why there's opposition. Satan has blinded the eyes. Verses 3 and 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The idea of a veiled gospel means that Paul is readily acknowledging that some who hear him just won't get it. It's like he's showing them a picture of the glory of God in the face of Christ, and some are saying, I just don't see the picture. And and why is it so important? And, And what does it mean to me? And why should I even care? I mean, What's wrong with my way of living up to this point in time? I mean, why should I change my life just because of your religious ideas? You see, those are the things that some people might have said, but I'm sure they said more. We know for certain that some were angry with Paul because his preaching of the gospel was cutting into the sale of golden idols, which people were to take home into their houses. And others said that Christians were leading a seditious group of opponents to the Roman emperor, since they refused to testify that Caesar was Lord. And still others said that, you know, these guys are just atheists because they're saying that the Greek gods and goddesses don't exist. And still others said, well, look, in their love feasts, I've heard that these are actually sexual orgies. So what accounts for all those reactions? And Paul says, yeah, the God of this world has blinded their eyes. 
You know, there's a Hindu parable that, that depicts blind men coming upon an elephant. And one man has a hold of the ear and he says, you know, an elephant is like a very large flat leather blanket. And the next person's got a hold of the trunk and he says, look, an elephant is like a large fire hose. And still another has his hands on the side of the animal. and He says, no, no, an elephant is like a very large impenetrable wall. And that parable is meant to depict that none of us have all the truth. I mean, we're just like blind men who've grasped a small part of the truth, but each of us only have a small part of it. Things that seem contradictory now are only apparently contradictory. That's what the parable says. We're all just like people that have a small bit of the truth, and we're doing our best to understand our bit of the truth, but we should listen to others as well. And Paul and the other apostles saying, no, 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 no. We aren't blind men who've tried to understand a little bit of the truth. Instead, we're preaching a gospel from an ever-seeing God whose knowledge is complete. The gospel, the glad saving news, salvation found in Christ and in Christ alone. It's not a part of the truth. It's the whole truth. And the reason why people reject this gospel is not because they've got a little piece of another bit of truth. The reason they reject is because Satan is their enemy. And Paul's confident that he has the truth and that Satan himself, not varied opinions, keep people from the truth. Paul is confident because he's convinced he's in a spiritual battle for the truth. He's confident because the truth of his gospel came to him by the grace of God. He's confident enough to never dilute it. Now, here's the fourth reason for Paul's confidence. He knows who is Lord. Verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. See, I know that all Christians believe that Jesus is Lord, but let's remember what it means, shall we? I mean, to proclaim Jesus as Lord is to proclaim him as the ruling sovereign over all things. So when Paul's in prison in Rome, he let the Roman guards who watched over him know that his imprisonment was in Christ. He even called himself not Rome's prisoner, he actually called himself Christ's prisoner. He was in prison because the Lord of the universe directed his course right there. It wasn't the emperor of Rome. Rome's emperor couldn't direct Paul, but Jesus could. That's why the cross was about one truth. Jesus is Lord. That's why Paul said, I never proclaim myself. I know who I am. I'm a slave. That one is Lord. And so when I enter the city to preach the gospel, I'm pretty sure how things are going to turn out. Jesus is Lord of all, and he's going to direct his purposes in this city as I'm preaching. That's why Paul's confident. It wasn't about him at all. And then finally, he gives the the last reason why he's so confident. God himself is directing the light of the gospel. Verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When Paul uses the word light, he's reminding us of the words in which God spoke and this planet was formed. In the earth, darkness once reigned, and God said, let there be light. All God had to do was to say it, and light broke through the darkness. Well, says Paul, don't you know? That's a picture of conversion. In every single person who's saved, God merely speaks the word, and that word is the gospel. 
And whenever there's a response, it's because God has spoken into the darkness of a human heart that was blinded by Satan, and yet in spite of sin and rebellion and satanic deception, it's still God who speaks the word, and whenever he says, let there be light, suddenly the human heart is transformed. I mean, let me ask you just the most basic question I could ask. Why wouldn't Paul be confident? And to those of you who are listening to me right now, let me ask you this. If you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, are you sensing a stirring in your heart that there is something that's greater than yourself? There is a cause so great that if you lose yourself in that cause, you will find yourself. Do you sense that Jesus really did rise from the dead and that he's Lord of all? And if that's stirring you, can I ask you, would you respond to that? You know, would you pray, oh, Lord God, I know I'm a sinner and I know I deserve condemnation, but Jesus, would you reach out your hand and save me? I surrender my life into your hands. Pray that way and then pick up a Bible and start to read. And make sure you you find your way to a Bible-believing church and then learn what it is to give yourself to something that will never pass away that's eternal. Now, for those of you who are further along, might I ask you, would you recapture that for which Christ has captured you? Don't you ever allow your life to degenerate into purposelessness. You expect great things because your God has promised great things. Be confident and trust in Him. May the Lord bless you. John, let me say something. You tell me whether it's valid. Is it possible we struggle in our confidence because we haven't made the ultimate decision to make Christ as our singular purpose in life? Yeah, I mean, when Paul says... We proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus is Lord. You know, it's a sad day when we proclaim ourselves as Lord. I think we know that. So um, once we get our eyes onto Christ and we're reminded of the light that shines in our hearts, you know, that God still speaks, and uh, all of that begins to change how we think about ourselves, how we think about Christ, and all of that feelings of, you know, I don't mean anything or that kind of stuff, that just fades away in the light of the glory of Christ. That's a great word. Thanks so much, John. Remember, join us again next week as we continue our series, Power in Weakness, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Hey, this is Dr. John Newfeld of Back to the Bible Canada. Take the opportunity today to sponsor a pastor to attend our June 2020 Back to the Bible Canada third annual Bible teaching conference. Hosting hundreds of Indian pastors across India, conferences will take place in Delhi, Hyderabad, and Chennai. I will be teaching pastors to learn the discipline of effectively teaching the Bible and sharing the gospel. You know, many pastors in India have little opportunity for formal education, so being trained and equipped can mean so much to their ministry. This year, you can sponsor the attendance of an Indian pastor for only $55, which includes the cost of the conference, resources, travel, accommodations, and food. Join us in this great cause of continuing to equip pastors in India. Consider sponsoring one or more pastors to attend the India Bible Teaching Conference this June 
call 1-800-663-2425 or visit sendapastor.ca.